Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Chris Edmonston, President of the Boat U.S. Foundation. As we discuss, Chris wears a lot of hats for what is the nation's largest recreational boating advocacy, services, and safety organization. They're a valuable partner of ours at ASA, since just about every fishing issue is also a boating issue and vice versa. If you're even an occasional boater, you're probably familiar with Boat US, but regardless of just how familiar you are, I still bet you learn a lot from Chris about the wide range of programs they provide and all they're doing to safeguard boating access. I sure did. And now let's dive into the interview. All right. On this episode of Politics Fish Podcast, I'm pleased to have with us uh, Chris Edmondson, who is the president of Boat US Foundation. So welcome, uh, Chris. Glad to have you on here. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, This is such a great, great way to get out to people. Uh, podcast is quite the phenomenon, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, as someone who's been commuting for going on 14 years now, I've got a long commute. Uh, I discovered podcasts a long time ago. Um, but yeah, yeah. hopefully catching on and gaining some steam and um yes yeah, as, as you well know the work we do in policy government affairs is pretty weedy and complicated and it's often hard to boil it down into a short press release or statement so um hopefully this gives an opportunity to right you know delve a little deeper into the weeds and uh explain explain this policy stuff a little bit more for those handful of people out there that are actually interested in it like you and i yeah. are when I, I I can tell you that when we do press releases or let's say action alerts and we're trying to get people in, in, engaged on a particular policy, it, it is a struggle to figure out what information is pertinent or will will resonate with the reader. And that's uh, all it's almost an art form. Oh, yeah. I mean, what we go back and forth a lot here of me wanting to like way over inform and the yeah. comms folks taking stuff out and i'm like no that's really important information and they say well no one care anyway yeah, yeah it's it's a constant struggle you're right it is an art well chris what's uh what's your background how did you get into your career at boat us oh well um interesting i grew up on the water uh just just a little bit south of annapolis maryland and uh my first hourly job was working at a marina um uh, my great grandfather great uncles were all chesapeake bay watermen my dad was in the marine industry my brother was in the marine industry i i guess it's just in the blood and uh from the time i was 15 uh up until today just about all of my employment has been marine related i've worked at marinas worked in uh, uh repair yards worked at dealerships um and then you know, you start grinding fiberglass in the middle of summer and you, you kind of think to yourself, maybe I want to work at a desk job. <laughs> and then uh, 29 years ago, I moved over to Boat US and I've uh, been here ever since. And I guess I'm just a big old uh, boat bum and, and fishing bum. I've been fishing all my life as well, but uh, really been on the water my whole life. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of our members, I think, are of a similar mindset if they grew up loving the water and wanted to make a living out of it too. And um, there are, there are some of us that are fortunate enough to be able to, to do both enjoy. Yep. You had this as a passion and also be able to make a career out of it and hopefully feel like you're making a difference. So, um, but yeah, there is definitely that difference between the, the hands-on uh, more labor intensive work and what you and I do, which is talk about it a lot every now and right. then we get to actually partake in the activity, but um 
little bit more of a, I guess, a um, the talk than the action at times. <laughs> yeah, and but, I, uh, most days I'm okay with that. Uh, but some days it's it is nice to get out on the water and get your hands dirty. And what we we do have uh, a bunch of boats that are owned, uh, company owned, and uh, I do actually enjoy cleaning them, working on them, and uh, doing uh, most of the repair jobs that I can get to easily. Some of them like climbing around in the bilge. You know, I'm just I, I my body isn't as flexible as it used to be, so it's nice to be able to have some other people do that. Well, it's also good to know in detail what it is you're talking about what's your um i don't know not to like you don't have to call anybody out but like within the boat u.s family is that pretty common to have folks with that level of passion and avidity who um, Uh, who, who can talk the talk i would say in more so in the leadership yes um some level of background are in our government affairs shop yes there's uh boating uh is important and certainly in the foundation it's important and in uh our publications like the uh boat us magazine uh yeah we we try to have boaters and we actually have a, a work group called boaters on staff and one of the great things we do here at boat us is we we regularly take staff out on the water to get them acclimated to boats and we show the people, the newer people who might not have boating experience, what the different parts are, how they work, so that when they are talking to people on the phone, they they have some level of understanding of what it is the person's talking about. So that's that's a big part of our job is to educate not just uh, uh, the average boater, but also professional staff. That's part of the uh, foundation's mission is to educate professional staff as well. So, Chris, maybe I'm the only one that doesn't fully know where the line is drawn yes you can help so explain to me when you talk about boat us and boat us foundation sure where's the distinction there's actually three different corporate entities within boat us there's boat america corporation or just uh i guess boat us and that's the for-profit side and uh towing or on water towing is part of that insurance is part of that um boat finance and some some other things and then there's the association the membership side and the membership side houses uh uh the magazine uh and some other other functions and uh they they take care of our uh close to 800,000 members and the third part of it is the foundation and the foundation is the the nonprofit so we have uh nonprofit foundation we have a not-for-profit association and we have a for-profit corporation and uh kind of work together uh i i wear many different hats i work both in the association uh i manage government affairs for the association and i'm the the president of the foundation and that is those are lots of hats to wear and important hats yes to wear. <laughs> a lot yeah. to keep up with i'm sure yes yeah, and uh, you know things have things have definitely changed uh, over the years. I can remember when I started this time of year, the industry was pretty much shut down. And uh, now that we have the internet and uh, uh, the expectation of speed of uh, things getting done, it, it seems like uh, the boating industry has become a, a 24-7, 365 a year job. And I got to say, we're just as busy today as we will be in the middle of summer. And that's definitely a change of pace from 
20 years ago or 30 years ago when I started. So what are some of the projects, just looking at the Boat US Foundation, what are sure. some of the projects you work on? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like something that immediately jumps to my mind, and I'm sure folks have seen it elsewhere is, because I see them all the time, anytime I go to a body of water, here where I live, the monofilament recycling right. tubes. Um, yep. So I, I think that's part of what you, what else are, are you involved in from a, a foundation project standpoint? Well, the, the foundation's mission is to uh, improve uh, the education of boaters and anglers, the knowledge of them, and to improve the waterway qualities. You know, we, we try to reduce accidents and fatalities, and we try to improve the, the, the cleanliness of our waterways. And I, I think many, I know you know, and many uh, most anglers uh, know that uh, we pay a lot of money into the government through taxes and other other forms of revenue that are designed to help improve conservation efforts. And we work very hard to make sure that uh, our waterways are clean. And one of the big things we work on, well, actually three things in the environmental world are, uh, we work to remediate uh, aquatic invasive species. Uh, we're working very much lately on uh, marine debris removal, and that that could be you know, fishing gear that's offshore uh, or derelict vessels that are um, up on the beach somewhere. And we we try to work very hard with anglers to remove uh, fishing line and and uh, discarded bait and things like that from the waterways. Now, one of the the big concerns we have in the foundation and government affairs is that we want to make sure that access is available to everyone. And one of the big reasons that uh, we can see things being shut down is that anglers and boaters are are transporting aquatic invasive species or they're uh, leaving a lot of debris behind. So we, we work hard to educate people on how to avoid that and how to keep their boat clean and, and how to recycle. Yeah. You know, we talk about being stewards of the environment and all we contribute to conservation, but you know, yeah, there are occasionally sort of those, uh, black eyes on the sport and, um, it can certainly come back to bite us when others who may not appreciate, fishing boating as much as we do or even maybe those within the right. community that see this and think oh you know this is a problem we need to start you know over regulating or restricting or banning to present prevent what in a lot of cases a, a literate and an education problem yeah. not necessarily something that requires you know additional government regulation the angling and boating communities both have great stories to to tell about conservation and, and things that we do collectively to improve the environment uh, to improve uh, the species that are out there. Same thing with with the hunting industry. And I, I, I don't think we do a good enough job at it. And that's, that's one of the things that uh, we're going to emphasize this year is really promoting all the efforts that uh, anglers and boaters do to preserve and protect our natural resources. That's great. Well, picking one of those, just to dive in a little bit, um, out of my own curiosity, I'm real curious about the um, derelict boat program. I mean, obviously that's one where, you know, you, you likely do yeah. have to have government involvement in some form. Um, yeah. what, what, what does that program look like? Like, how do you get from the point of identifying um, derelict vessels to figuring out what to do with them? Who all's involved in that? Who pays for it? Where does it go? Yeah. Um, 
Give me, give me some examples or just an overview of that program. Boy, that's, that's, that's such a complicated uh, subject and it, it can be different in one municipality than another. And I look at Florida and, and California, let's say uh, San Francisco Bay and, and Key West Harbor. There are a, a lot of boats that uh, are in great disrepair because uh, they're old and they're essentially might not be usable, but there's such a critical housing shortage in those areas that people are, are using these old boats as housing. So it's a housing issue. It's not a boating issue. But when the, the boats do end up sinking, uh, there's there might not be an owner involved anymore. There might not be any way of tracking down who who was living on or who had it. And, you know, it just uh, sits there uh, up against the shore or, or out in the channel or out in the harbor. And that gives everybody a black eye. One thing, it's a navigation hazard. Uh, it's it's also a pollution hazard. There's just so many things that are, are bad about it. And uh, finding money to pay for it is a struggle. Uh, I know that some states try to uh, attach uh, uh, a cleanup fee to their registrations, but the Coast Guard really doesn't like that. And many states are just trying to figure out a creative way to, to fund it. Um, one of the great things that uh, Boat US and ASA and some some other uh, partners did last year was get money uh, put aside in the uh, infrastructure bill to fund NOAA to remove derelict and abandoned vessels. And they have, uh, as well as other marine debris, they actually have $54 million that they're going to start distributing this year. Uh, to help remove and remediate abandoned and derelict vessels. Now, where all of us come in as anglers or in the community is finding out where they are and uh, helping NOAA figure out what what the priorities for removal are. And uh, let's say there might be an abandoned vessel in a particular navigation channel uh, or one that's leaking oil or something like that. Those are the ones that NOAA is going to be looking for. But uh, I, I think everybody in the community should be very happy that NOAA uh, received funding for this purpose. And while that's just for coastal states, uh, I think one of our efforts from government affairs over the next couple of years is to get uh, the Corps of Engineers and or EPA involved as well to show that the, there's a need for inland states as well. Yeah. yeah and, and again, there's a lot to it, but a lot of times it does just come down to how are we going to fund getting these out of the water and what to yep. do with it that does that does take resources and it doesn't just doesn't just happen magically but um yeah. and i'm assuming a lot of that's true especially after hurricanes i'm thinking florida yes. this last fall that was a lot of the footage you saw was um you know the, the all the boats washed up on the shore or in right. the inlets and everywhere else i know that uh, uh boat us we had easily over a thousand boats that we pulled pulled off off the land or out of the swamps uh, just ourselves from Hurricane Ian. And uh, the nice thing about hurricanes is uh, usually most of the boats that go ashore are going to be insured and there's a, there's a way to fund it. It's, it's usually the older boats uh, that may or may not be used for housing. Um, they, they just become an eyesore. And the unfortunate thing about that is many municipalities... Uh, are trying to restrict 
anchoring or extended visits to try to reduce the ability or of people to just abandon the boat. So it's having a negative impact on on boaters who are trying to do the right thing. Sort of taking a step back, what trends are you seeing in boating, but you know, in terms of participants and, and otherwise, um, is the COVID bump continuing? Um, are we starting um, to see the lag there? Yes, we we definitely saw uh, a huge increase uh, at at the the start and over the the first year of COVID. I know here here in Maryland, my home state. You could go boating, but only if you were sustenance fishing. This was at the start of COVID. Yeah, that was one of the weirder ones, but yeah. Yes. So everybody started, you know, you'd see people water skiing, but there was a fishing rod uh, in the back of the boat. <laughs> um, but yes, it, it absolutely had a, a positive impact on angling and, and boating because it was one of the few activities people could do. Uh, you couldn't go to... Uh, the movie theaters you couldn't do you couldn't go to concerts you couldn't go to amusement parks so yes there was an absolutely huge spike uh we have seen that that tail off I, i'd say we're still up from pre-covid so it was a, a great way to introduce a lot of people to angling and boating and uh i i think uh, i i would say the angling and the boating industries are, are probably a decade or two behind other industries as far as customer service and customer interaction and, and things like that. And uh, I think uh, many of us are working really hard to ret retain the people that came came back uh, or came into the sport and uh, be interesting to see how, how things uh, roll out over the next few years. Uh, it seems that uh, many of the boat manufacturers are getting caught up from the supply chain issues that were uh, that came in with COVID. Uh, but the financial crunch over the last year or two, the inflation and the stock market was, I, I think that that might have tamped down people's uh, willingness to go out and buy a new boat. Maybe a weird question, but do your membership numbers correlate pretty strongly with the overall number of boaters, like when more people are boating, more people are boat U.S. members, or are there other factors? Yes, I, I would I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, we we did see a big bump in boat U.S. membership during COVID, and that that too has uh, dropped down a little bit since then. But I I would I think we're still up over pre-COVID years. Um, yeah, it's just like uh, new housing starts. Um, NMMA, National Marine Manufacturers Association, always says that. Uh, boat sales mimic uh, housing starts so it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting how uh data and statistics work like that mm -hmm. what other than the, of course the tremendous government affairs work that you do what what motivates members to be or what motivates people to become members of boat us well i i would say we're we're like a, a motor club for boaters and we have on the water and on the road towing that that is a, a huge uh benefit for membership if you're going to break down on the water uh we'll we'll come get you uh if you're mm -hmm. towing a, a boat behind your vehicle we'll we'll come get you and we'll come get you and your uh, uh your truck and trailer everything we'll take care of it all uh, we have the government affairs advocacy we have uh the boat us magazine uh, we just have a lot of goods and services uh that 
make uh, boating easier, take the hassle factor out of out of uh, boating. So we we work very hard on our uh, through public affairs and uh, consumer advocacy to help people who are might be having issues getting their boat repaired or or getting uh, having issues with a really any boating related product that they might have bought. Uh, we do consumer testing to tell people what's good and what's not. Um, we just do try to do everything boating. One of the, the big things we've started over the last few years um, is educating people on how to how to drive their boats. In some marine communities like Annapolis, it, it could be relatively easy to find somebody to teach you how to drive your boat, but really across the country, it could be kind of difficult to know what you're doing. And dealers uh, may or may not give you uh, a very good lessons on how to drive your boat, but we have some uh, great captains uh, up and down the coast and we're expanding and uh, we teach you how to drive your boat. And that that is growing by triple digits every year. Well, I was wondering, do you end up with a lot of people that come for the insurance and stay for the variety of other things that you all do? Like maybe people who sure, didn't yeah. realize the diversity of programs that you all offer. They just found you yeah. through the insurance program and and then realized, uh, yeah. oh my gosh, these these folks do a lot more than just that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and that, we, we try to make ourselves sticky and uh, to give people a reason to stay. We have lots of online education uh, we we do work pretty extensively with the uh, fishing community. Uh, one of the things that uh, we we started 20 years ago was uh, support of high school and collegiate fishing. Uh, we're the lead sponsor of the National Collegiate uh, Fishing Tournament. So we when we look at our membership, uh, fishing is really one of the highest uh, percentage of activities that our members do. And uh, it's important to us that people know know what they're doing and that they have clean waters out there to go out and catch a fish. Yeah. Yeah. What is the stat we use? It's something like 70% of it's either boats are used for fishing or yeah. or 70% of people who buy a boat use it with fishing as a reason to, to buy yeah, it. That, but, that's pretty close to, uh, I think ours is like 76% of our members mm -hmm. use, use it uh, primarily or mostly for fishing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh Mike Nussman and Tom Darmark used to always say it's uh, yep. boating and fishing or peanut butter and jelly. They just go together. Well, so, you know, you've touched on government affairs um, a good bit here. So what's the the general scope of that? Um, I mean, you and I work together on a lot of things yep. and, and Glenn and a bunch of other uh, folks in this space. Um, I guess if you could sort of boil it down, what you do in government affairs. One word, it's access. And when I think about access, it's it's our ability to go out and enjoy the activities we want to enjoy, whether it's uh, uh, floating down the river on a tube, whether it's uh, going out in your contender and fishing offshore or just puttering down down the river. Uh, I am concerned, uh, one, by uh, marine businesses or marine access being squeezed by development. Uh, I look at a state like Florida that's getting what close to 800 to a thousand new residents a day. They're not building any more access points to water. Mm -hmm. They're not building any more marinas and it's just going to price out people's ability to get on the water. 
Uh, overregulation certainly impacts access. Um, we're concerned about uh, uh, environmentalists who don't want any combustion engines on the water um, using environmental rules or regulations to try to uh, limit access. Uh, we're concerned about, as, as I mentioned, uh, the derelict vessels uh, placing restrictions on, on boaters' ability to anchor uh, in a safe place. Uh, even things like the, the rail, there's a rail line going up in uh, Florida that's going to close, close uh, or may close down bridges to boat traffic. That's a concern of ours because it restricts access. So access is a huge word for us. And uh, we're always checking on state and local uh, regulations or proposed laws. And we work with uh, groups like NMMA and ASA on uh, federal regulations that either um, impact funding or impact access. And we, we try to work with all the eight different federal agencies to improve uh, access for recreational anglers and boaters. And of course, with that access comes conservation, because as we touched on sure. earlier, all that um, yep. boating and fishing ends up producing a lot of money and a lot of stewards and advocates for for conservation. Yes. So um, that all goes hand in hand. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I, I'm concerned about. I, I'm certainly concerned about funding levels uh, for for these programs, and uh, and we look at how things are funded and. Uh, probably the best way we can grow funding is to, to grow the activities. And the, the best way to grow the activities is to make access easy. And uh, that's such an important part of our jobs. Well, I wanted to ask what, um, what are some of, or maybe the biggest emerging issues that are impacting boating right now that you see? Is it something we haven't touched on yet? It will be interesting to see. Uh, again, I'll just highlight the environmental aspects of boating. Uh, we're seeing uh, organizations go go against, like, let's say, wake setting boats because of the the waves that the wake setting boats put out. Uh, the electrification or uh, non power or non gasoline power uh, of boats. Uh, I think that that's going to be a big one. Could you just on that point, maybe explain a little bit more? I mean, I, as we sure. talked about earlier, I think most of our audience are folks that fish and boat, but could you explain the inherent difficulty in trying yeah. to electrify uh, the boating well, industry? Uh, you look at a car and it's got four wheels on it and just a very small point uh, of the wheel is touching the road. And as it's rolling down the road, you know, there's some friction, but you look at a boat, uh, half the boat is in the water and that generates a lot of friction mm -hmm. and uh, friction just drains batteries. And uh, it's really hard to get a boat to go to mimic. Let's say let's say you want a 24 foot center console fishing boat. Um, it, it's really hard to electrify a boat like that to have the same operating characteristics as a gasoline powered boat the battery technology just isn't there yet uh you could have a boat like that and operate at you know kind of a high speed for know, half an hour or so but you're not going to be able to go for the hours that you would on a conventionally powered outboard boat so that's going to be 
a struggle for the industry because uh, many of uh, the environmentalists who are advocating electrification of everything will will push to simply ban uh conventionally powered gasoline motors uh, probably a lot sooner than technology uh, will be able to provide us with an alternative. Right. Yeah. Who knows what the future of technology holds, but it's hard to see that coming together in the next five yeah. or 10 years or whatever other ambitious timelines might be out there. Yep. Well, and sorry, I cut you off. What, did you have any other no, no, issues um, you wanted to touch on? I think we're getting caught up with some of the supply chain issues. I know that that's still an issue in the tackle industry. It's interesting to see, again, regulations that have made it difficult to manufacture some of the things here in the country, like lead sinkers, um, lead weights. And uh, that's going to put pressure and increase prices for the tackle that we need to go fishing. So it's interesting. It's always interesting to see the... uh, the uh, cause and effect or the unintended consequences of legislation. And I, I think we as an industry have to get get better at, at, at anticipating or expecting legislature uh, legislation and or uh, changes to rules, whether it's EPA or NOAA or other other government agencies having a quite negative impact on what we do. So it gets back to us being able to tell our story uh, effectively about how we are uh, the leaders in conservation and the original conservationists. Yeah, like it or not, uh, regulation is a huge part of fishing and boating. Um, Scott Goods, our previous vice president of government affairs, used to comment yep. about how fishing is one of the most heavily regulated industries there is out there. If you think about every, just about every fishery you want to go after, there's regulations on that and um sure you know yep. when and how and where and all that stuff um and that's part of the irony in all this is people tend to go fishing and boating to get away from life's problems like regulation but it's unfortunate that's just not the way it works uh if you want to have that luxury yeah. you have to be paying attention to um all that goes into allowing these opportunities to happen and recognize that it it's not uh it's not a foregone conclusion that'll always exist in the future there are changes coming and we have to adapt and also um, fight yes. off all those threats that are out there. And we have to make sure that the regulators are uh, doing things properly and using the right data. And I, I think we've seen that in the, the proposed rule about right whales that, that we're not mm-hmm. quite in agreement on their data sets or uh, slot limits or catch limits for, let's say, red snapper or other, other game fish species. So that's one of the things that uh, I think that I need to get my constituency, the boat U.S. member, more aware of that uh, we need we need to make sure that no one and state agencies are are doing things the right way too, because yep. they're behind as well. Yep. Well, we made it pretty far into here without right whales coming up, but um, <laughs> it sneak that in at the end. If folks want to learn more, we did a previous podcast with uh, John Personair with Viking Yachts about that right whale issue that, Chris, I know will keep you and I in uh, yes. frequent communication about over, uh, oh gosh, I don't even want to predict how much longer, but for quite a long while, we're going to be battling that one. Yeah. Months. But uh, we'll... Chris, I uh, have really enjoyed having you on here. Um, I feel like we could keep going here, but for the sake of, of time and everything that you have going on and, and me too, let's uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and close it out there. But for folks okay. that want more information, uh, again, I'm sure we've got a lot of uh, people that are probably already Boat US members, but for folks that are interested more, if there's any 
um, places you'd direct them to, to to find out more? What what would those be? Uh, well, well, our two websites, there's BoatUS, B as in boy, O-A-T-U-S dot com and BoatUS dot org, O-R-G. And that's uh, where you can find out about our environmental and safety programs. Dot com and dot org. My yep. youngest was just asking me what's the difference between dot com and dot org. So you just you've given me a good case study to show them of the, yeah, the different sides of those uses. All right, Chris. Well, thanks again for being on here. Um, lots of good information. Appreciate all the work you and Boat US uh, do and the close partnership Likewise. we have. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll continue in the future. So um, so thanks again, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. All right, talk to you. Thanks again to Chris for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat and explain more about Boat US and how it's working to enhance the recreational boating experience. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. But in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening and tight lines.